across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome in all you Avalanche fans to another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast. I am your host, JJ Jerez. Of course, with me today is Arif Dean, my main man, my main partner in podcast crime. Arif, it's been, that was we just finished the first full week of the off season. Uh, how's it treated you so far? How are you feeling about it? It's been very quiet. It's been a lot of talk about what's to come and you know, it's kind of been the calm before the storm that's about to start up, and I'm super pumped and excited for it, and uh, I'm ready to see where the avalanche go from here. Yeah, calm before the storm. We got the draft coming up. We got free agency coming up. I've been a little lost this week. You know, it was such a fun time, fun stretch of having hockey for, what, two months almost. Um, so, yeah. you know, I've, I've been not, not knowing what to do with my hands the last week, but I'm happy that we have more things coming up and more things to kind of dive into and, and nerd out about. A little bit here so that being said let's get right into the free agents I think that's what we're gonna start the show off here today um, uh, after that we're gonna get a little bit into other free agents out there and then a little bit of goalie talk but starting with the I think issue um, in front of the avalanche plate right now and that's the signing of both Gabe Landeskog and McCarr to contract extensions um, next week there's a good chance uh, probably is gonna happen I mean they're, they're, it's not two guys that they even want to consider losing down the road in free agency. But let's just start with Gabe Landeskog um, and what a contract is going to look like for him. What do you expect to see from his extension? You know, the more I thought about it, the more I think that Landeskog's the type of guy that's going to do something for this team. He's going to take a bullet for this team. He truly does love it here. He's built a family here. And uh, he's going to take, I hate using the phrase, hometown discount because he is from Sweden. Denver is not his hometown, but he is going to take a home team discount if you must. I don't see Landeskog signing, nor do I see Sackick signing him for longer than a five-year term. Uh, because players of that ilk, you're going to end up like Milan Lucic. You're going to end up like Dustin Brown, where it can go from 100 to zero ultimately pretty quickly. Uh, or real quick, as the kids like to say. And you don't want to give him a lot of money and a lot of term, especially when you're building this thing that you know, might end up being very much up there with the cap ceiling. So I could see Landeskog, you know, considering he just came off a seven-year deal making 5.7, which, you know, all things considered has been a team-friendly contract. He's he's done a lot more than what he's been paid to do over the last six years going into year seven right now or in a few months. So I could see something around... If it's four years, I'll say twenty-eight million, seven a year. If it's five years, I'd say thirty-two and a half for six point five. Look at that math. There we go. Definitely uh, going with a with pay upgrade for Gabe Landeskog, right? Yeah, but not by much. I mean, five point seven to six and a half, or five point seven to seven, is not a huge deal. It's just a matter of the term being low that I think. Avalanche fans and Joe Sackick need to be careful with. That's what I wanted to get into. I found it interesting that you say that you probably expect something not to be too long, you know, four or five years. And so, you know, that being said, do you see Gabe Landeskog ever not playing in an Avalanche sweater? Are you trying to say that perhaps after this term, they might have a good chance of looking on at moving on from Gabe Landeskog? I mean, he's been the captain. No. He strikes me as a guy who's a career uh, avalanche player and they'd love to keep him around but it sounds like you know maybe there's a little bit of doubt in your mind no 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 there's absolutely no doubt in my mind and I hope it doesn't come off as such because Gabe Landeskog is the type of guy who's going to be a career av but it reminds me just in the terms of the contracts that it kind of reminds me of Milan Hayduk. Milan Hayduk was a career av but he never signed that long deal it was always three years four years two years three years because you always want to make sure you're having a player like that. Not that Hayduke and Landeskog are similar, but you always want to make sure you have a player of Landeskog's ilk at the contract that you know makes the most sense for him. Landeskog's the type of player that, to be honest with you, 
he doesn't have the ego to say, I'm a top six guy, I'm your top line guy. I don't see him as that. So let's say he plays five years at six and a half. And in five years from now, he's, you know, I'm going to say nothing more than very loosely, but he's, he's simply by then his, you know, if he's going to be 27 or he's going to be 28 by the time this next season starts, because it's going to start after his birthday in November. Meaning if the, the first year of Seattle's existence that 21, 22 season, if that season begins with uh, a regular timing start around early October, where we are now, which isn't likely, but let's just say it does. Landeskog will be 28 years old. He'll be 29 by the time that year ends, 30, 31, 32, 33. So by the end of his five-year deal, he would be 33. Let's say by then he's a 45 to 50-point player that plays in your middle six rather than your top six. At that point, the Avalanche could give him a contract that's more reasonable. Let's say three years, 12 million, three years, 15 million. At the end of that contract, maybe he's nothing more than, and again, I use that loosely, a Matt Calvert type of guy who will give you 30 to 35 points. But when he's missing in the playoffs, you can feel it because of the physical presence he brings. And let's say at that point, he signs for two years, 6 million. And he's just going to keep doing that until his career winds down. The only reason why I don't say give him eight years or give him seven years is because, or even six, is because Landis God deserves a pay raise right now, but you don't want to fall into a situation where you give him eight years at seven million, and by year four, he's nothing more than, on the depth chart, a middle six guy, but in the locker room, a leader. And then you have this guy making $7 million, then you run into a situation like Ottawa with Bobby Ryan or Vancouver with Louis Erickson or actually Louis Erickson's a bad example, like Vancouver with Jay Beagle or Anton Roussel, where it's like, I love these guys and I want to keep them, but they're making more money than we can afford. So you don't want to be stuck in that situation where you have to get rid of someone simply because of that number attached to their name. Uh, but on that note, no, I, I'm 100% with you. Landis Cog, unless something crazy happens, he definitely will be a career app, in my opinion. We got to look at the guy at the helm, right? I mean, that's Joe Sackick. He was a career captain here with the Avalanche. He was this close to heading to New York for a second there. But at the end of the day, he spent his entire career with the same organization. And I think it really did wonders for him after his career, right? He got to jump into a, a pretty big role with a franchise that yep. already really trusts him, really loves him. I can see the same thing happen with Gabe Landeskog. I can almost yeah. see Joe Sackett because everybody loves Gabe Landeskog. He's such a gem of a human and just adds a lot um, personality-wise. But I could see Joe Sackett trying to groom Gabe Landeskog to stay around his whole career, keep that captain on his chest, and eventually you know, jump into some sort of role with the front office or what have you. But he strikes me as a guy they want to keep here for longer. I mean, look at Milan Hayduk, just like you mentioned. He was a career lifer. He still, you still see him dabble in and out of avalanche circles. Yep. Um, but what the last thing you want is to have almost another Eric Johnson situation on your hands, right? I mean, look back to when they signed Eric Johnson to this deal that he's, um, you know, closer to the tail end now. They thought that by the end of it, he would still be a similar Eric Johnson, but I think what we're seeing now is a, a severe drop-off. It would sting to see Eric Johnson in a different jersey, but I also think it would do more damage than not to keep him around till the end of his career. Yeah, that's the thing with Eric Johnson. I mean, I'm not here for Eric Johnson's slander. He was missing in the playoffs, and you could very much see it that the Avalanche needed him, and if they had him, they probably beat the Dallas Stars along with one of the other 17 guys that were injured and the two that played net. So uh, regarding Eric Johnson, I mean, it's gotten to that point now where, especially with the expansion draft coming and hopefully having to ask him to wave so you don't lose a Gerard or a McCarr or a Graves or whatever it may be, it's getting to that point with Eric Johnson where it's like, yeah, like you said, you'd love to have him around, but... At $6 million, you're likely going to have to get rid of him at one point or another. I mean, there's this idea that people keep shooting that the Avalanche may sign, for example, or go after, for example, a Petrangelo. Even if they did, it wouldn't be for a long-term deal. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm just using his name as an example for, excuse me, as an example for argument's sake. If they go after Petrangelo, the only way they can make that work is to dump Eric Johnson's $6 million. So... That's kind of where I'm at with 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 the Landeskog contract is you don't want to end up in a situation where it's like, I love this guy. I need him in my locker room. But if I sign him for such a big amount of money, I'm going to eventually have to trade him. I wish teams would take more advantage of what the Capitals did with Brooks Orpik a couple summers ago when they traded him to the Avs. 
and the Avs bought him out and then he went back and re-signed. Um, I wish teams would do that more often, but you just don't see that. And you don't want to end up in a situation where you have to choose between Landeskog the human and Landeskog the guy with a number attached to his name. I also think everything we've been saying is assuming success for the next five years, right? We're just assuming that yeah. the Avalanche are going to do exactly what they need to do, win a cup or two, and in five years we could circle back. But of course, without that success, this whole thing might just have to be imploded and, and we don't see Gabe Landeskog, Eric Johnson, any of these guys around in five years. Who knows? But I mean, the way that the Avs are going, the trajectory that they're on, I could see him being like uh, the Blackhawks or the Capitals or the Penguins, not necessarily in the sense where they're going to win three cups or two in a row like the Penguins. I mean, they probably will do both of those. But in the sense where the Capitals have been in have been in the conversation and a contender since 2008, since that first year they made the playoffs, they missed it once in 2014. The Lightning missed it once in 2017. The Penguins have made it – well, technically the Penguins didn't make the playoffs this year because they lost the, the, the round robin, uh, the play-in round. Um, but they've been in the playoffs every year since 07. So I could see them being that type of team, even if down the line they get swept like the Pens did to the Islanders. They're always in the conversation. The regular season, they're always a top team. I could see that for at least the next 10 years. It's hard not to with McCarr and McKinnon and all these guys and Rantanen. It's hard not to see that being the case. Yeah, hopefully a lot less like the Tampa Bay Lightning or else Avs fans are going to rip out their hair for the next eight years. Yeah. Uh, moving on, yeah. let's go to Kale McCarr's contract. Let's have the same conversation with Kale McCarr. What do you expect his new deal to look like? Of course, he's coming off his ELC, so obviously going to get a pay upgrade from making less than a mil a year there. But what about term and what, what's a ballpark number you, you would throw at it? If he goes a full eight years, which Joe Sackick's going to want, I don't know if his agent will want because nowadays you're not seeing the stars like the Matthews and Ranton and all these guys taking eight-year deals. If it's an eight-year deal, I'll say nine and a half, which brings him right above Rantanen's number. If it's a shorter-term deal like five or six, it's going to be eight million a year, in my opinion, which goes along with his jersey number because hockey players love to do that. Well, and it's a lot less risky with Kale McCarr just because he's so freaking young and already has such high potential i mean like yeah like we've mentioned uh, a few times before you don't really come into your own as a defenseman until around age 25 26 or so um so you know i think they'd be perfectly com comfortable giving him an extension that long you'd hate to hear his agent say ah we don't really want an extension that long because you know who knows what's going to happen in four or five years maybe we get higher uh, money in term elsewhere so Hopefully it's not that kind of scenario, just like Gabe Landeskog. I think Kale McCarr is a guy that you, you need to have here as a career lifer if you really want to build this, uh, you know, what they have envisioned. Yeah, and I mean, Kale McCarr is a type of guy where if you could still give out those contracts, if you give him a Duncan Keith type of 12-year deal, by the end of a 12-year deal, he's still going to be a good player and will still be looking for a pay raise. I mean, of the players that signed those long deals, uh from the defensive side, at least, Duncan Keith is probably the only one that's paid off. From the forward side, we saw Mike Richards and Jeff Carter get those contracts. We saw how those turned out. Uh, Alex Ovechkin got a 13-year deal, and he's about to get a pay raise at 35, 36 years old next summer. So with Kale McCarr, he's so young, and he's not even in his prime yet. He's not even at that prime age yet that no matter how many years you give him, at the end of the contract, he's going to get a pay raise, likely. So considering next year he will be 22 to 23 years old when that season starts depending on when it starts you're looking at a deal that for eight years will bring him to his 31 year old uh, contract and at that point he's only a year older than Petrangelo is now and you know I'm not going to be a betting man but I'm going to bet if it was possible that at 31 McCarr will be better than Petrangelo was at 30 and at that point, you can give him another four or five years at eight, nine, ten million, and still have it pay off. With the new COVID cap rules and kind of the uncertainty of where the maybe next year or two are gonna go for the NHL, do you kind of find this to be maybe bad timing to have to sign Kale McCarr and Landis Cog to extensions? Because you know you'd hate to undersign them, but you'd also hate to oversign them, and, and unfortunately, you know, put yourself in a tough spot if if things keep going in in a tough direction for the NHL financially. So is I mean it's got to be really tough to balance you know the right decision and the right numbers here. And the funny thing is people don't realize that that's something you have to balance from both sides. Because from an owner's standpoint and from the GM standpoint, you don't want to oversign somebody during a time where nobody's really making money from whatever their other side hustles are like we were talking about 
um, I think it's the Vegas owner that I mentioned is in the hospitality industry and that's getting completely destroyed right now. Or actually, no, he's in the casino industry. But you don't want to fall into a situation where you're giving somebody a lot of money up front because you don't have that kind of a cash flow coming in. But at the same time, if you're a player, you don't want that money up front either because escrow is going to be so high for the next few years. So even if, let's say, and I feel bad for Miko Rantanen for having $12 million as his uh, actual dollars being paid this upcoming season because he's going to lose a large chunk of that to escrow. Um, so if you're if you're ranting and you're wishing that that $12 million was coming in four years and not next year. So for Makar and Landeskog, so let's say Makar takes the deal that I said. He takes eight years at nine and a half. You're looking at 72 plus four, $76 million. I promise you year one and probably year two of that contract will pay him $6 million if not a large signing bonus and one or two million in actual cap dollars because those actual cap dollars are going to get hit with escrow and are going to get hit with this upcoming season 10 percent is going to get paid as a deferral granted from a current landscog that doesn't apply but that's the thing is that you're you're going to be in a situation where as a player you want to make sure your money is being paid at the end of the deal and as an owner you want to make sure the money's being paid at the end of a deal so i could see something where it's not necessarily front-loaded but it's a back-loaded contract for both situations i also look at the mckinnon contract and obviously at the time it seemed like a a, a, a strong contract but now the as the years have gone by people are realizing wow they really got this guy for cheap you'd hate yeah. to have a guy like nathan mckinnon say oh man these guys have been underpaying me for years maybe i'm gonna go you know elsewhere and shop around look at what what else is out there if i can make more money if these guys are going to be uh you know shafting me again on this contract I, I wouldn't say they shafted them again at the time it was a great contract but you'd hate for you know year five six for kale mccarr and suddenly guys similar comparable players to him are are making in the 12s 15s and he's still stuck at this nine number um you know it, again it's just another part of the juggling i think joe Sakic has to deal with and, and the difficulty of figuring out the right number right now yeah and I know we never want to lose Kilmakar, but now we're talking in nine and ten years from now. <laughs> a lot could change by then. The Avalanche could draft three more Kilmakars and end up in a situation like Tampa Bay where you're like, oh, we have Point and Sorelli and Kucherov and we just won the Stanley Cup and we need to cut cap. And now they're suddenly like, hey, maybe we should just get rid of Stamkos and run back the same team that won it. So, you know, a lot could change. Stamkos was once the guy that scored 60 goals and you never get rid of, and it's still a great player. So eight, nine, 10 years down the line, I'm willing to say it's okay, and we'll figure that out when the time comes. But I get what you're saying. It's relevant because of the McKinnon conversation. Granted, McKinnon did have that article that was released last year, the interview with Forbes, where he said, I'll take a pay cut for this team. No one knows what that means because a pay cut could mean I'll only make 11 million. So now I'm making less than Matthews is 11.3. Um, or it could mean eight or nine million dollars and Joe Sackick is dancing in the streets. Uh, so who knows? But I, I, I do get where you're coming from. But at the same time, I don't think the contracts for Landeskog and Makar are going to be hard to get done. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and it's a matter of for how much and for how many years. More to the offseason being kind of a pivotal one for the Avalanche and Joe Sackick. They've got 14 guys that are that are signed for this upcoming season, but they also have 10, 11, if you count Michael Hutchinson, free agents, whether they're restricted or unrestricted. He's still got 10 on his hands to kind of make a decision. So I wanted to really quickly rapid fire with you. Let's go through each one of these free agents, and I just want to hear um, you know, whether you think they stay or they go and why. Just a quick little sentence on why. Let's not bore the listeners here. But starting with restricted free agent, 25-year-old Valerie Nachuskin. I think he's gone because the Avalanche are going to replace him with a more physical middle six player. And I think he's going to find a home in the NHL because he deserves it. He had a great year. Tough to see him go after. They give him an opportunity. He does well with the opportunity. And they're like, ah, all right. You did what we wanted, but see you later anyway. I just I just don't see a fit. Yeah. That's that's the thing. That brings us to 30-year-old unrestricted free agent Colin Wilson. He's done. I, I think his career might be done considering the fact that he wasn't even part of the return to play training camp or any of that. He just sort of disappeared. That, to me, says his career, unfortunately, is over. Um, I love the guy, and I kind of hope he decides to make Denver his home and joins the Avalanche in some capacity. 
Yeah, poor guy. He's just had so many injury issues ever since he's been with the Avs, too. I mean, I'm sure it's riddled him his whole career. I didn't quite follow his career before getting with the Avalanche, but ever since he's been here, you know, it's been one injury after another, and I know he's had some hip issues. As a guy who has hip issues as well, I can relate, and that's not an easy thing to recover from, and, you know, if it is the end, it's it's tough to end at age 30, but, yeah, I, I've liked having him around. I think there's more production we could have seen from him. But again, he was battling injuries the entire time here. So it's tough to produce when you're yeah. like that. Brings us to 27-year-old. And this was a steal that they got off of waivers a few years ago. Matt Nieto, unrestricted free agent. I still can't believe he's 27. He's been around for so long. But that just goes to show how deep that Sharks team was a few years ago. That they had to put somebody like him on waivers. And that says a lot about where the Avalanche are going and their trajectory because they're going to get to the point where they might have to offload somebody who's going to be a good NHL player. With that being said, I think he's gone because the Avalanche do not want to have somebody making three, four, or not four, but two and a half to three and a half million on the fourth line. Um, He's a hell of a player. He's going to find a home. It just won't be in Denver. Yeah, he's going to be a tough one to see go. Not because of, you know, he was that great of a contributor, um, on on either side of the ice but I thought it was really special when he came in he came in with the team that was just terrible right and that's why the Avalanche yeah. were able to pick him up off waivers so easily because they were the worst team in the NHL and when he got here you can kind of tell on his face and his his body language that he was just not happy to be here he was upset he left a San Jose Sharks team that he loved yeah. he had a lot of friends he'd been there for a while and suddenly he's on the worst team in the NHL but then as the months went by you really saw him acclimate, and not only from a personality standpoint, but as a player, he really started to feel like, okay, maybe my playing style does fit with this team. Maybe I'm not going to have to teeter-totter from the AHL and the NHL. Like Maybe I'm a mainstay here, and I think just watching that transition, you know, he started, suddenly started to love it here. And of course, success is going to help that once the years went by and the Avs started doing better, but that, of course, he, he enjoyed it more here, but... I don't know. It was just crazy to watch the the difference in body language and attitude of Matt Nieto over the years. Yeah. And honestly, I'm going to miss him. He's a good guy in the locker room. Yeah, he is. He's a, he's a hell of a guy, and I, and, I, and I love talking to him and having him around. And like Mark Barbario, who I don't think you're going to mention as one of these rapid fire because he's already signed in Europe, but Barbario was also a, a waiver pickup in that 2017 season. And let me ask you this, because I know the answer to this, is how many of those depth guys were here during that poor 2017 season and are still there. Obviously, McKinnon and Landeskog and Rantanen and Johnson, the big guys, were still there. Um, but aside from that, how many depth guys? It's Nieto. Well, now that Soderbergh's gone, now that Como's gone, it's Nieto and it's Barbario. Those are the only two, and Barbario's gone, and Nieto's probably going to be gone now, and now it's going to be transitioning to the next group. But those are the only guys that have stuck around since then, and it's it's great to see. I mean, the Avalanche really did a good job with the waiver wires back then with Nieto and Barbario and even Patrick Nemeth. So uh, it's going to be sad to see him go, but I don't believe he will be back. Yeah, he was a big part of the rebuild. That brings us to 22-year-old restricted free agent Tyson Jost. I think he gets traded before he signs a contract and he signs a deal with his new team. Um, I just like Nichushkin. I don't find a spot with for him here. Tyson Jost was supposed to be the number two center and he may be a number two center in the NHL. You just said he's 22 years old, but the Avalanche are in win now mode. And if you're not a 22 year old producing like Braden Point or, or, or Anthony Sorelli, you need to find a new team and produce there and grow with the team which is why the Avalanche went out and acquired a 29-year-old to be their second-line center uh, because they are in win-now mode and they cannot wait for Tyson Jost to get there. Um, through no fault of his own, Tyson Jost probably won't be an Av. He's not meant to play on the third or fourth line, so he will get traded and sign a new deal somewhere else. This is one of those scenarios where you just hope that a change of scenery resurrects this guy guy's career a little bit. I'm, not that it's I'm rooting headed downward, just not headed upward. Yeah, I'm rooting for him. He's a great guy and... You know, he hasn't had it easy here. The Avalanche rushed him. Uh, he was kind of the protege coming out of that 2017 season. And, you know, he played at Nodak and had a great year there and then signed with the Avs and scored a goal late in that 2017 season. And it was kind of, you know, the, his grandpa and the whole storyline and his mom and all that. It was a great feel. It was a great story and a, and a really good feeling for this franchise. But he was passed up by so many players. And, you know, through again, through no fault of his own, development takes time. Uh, the Avalanche just don't have that time right now to wait for him to develop because 
They can't play him in the top six, uh, and they can't afford to play him on the bottom six. You and I had an interesting little conversation with uh, Mike Chambers of the Denver Post the other day, breaking down that draft a little bit, and he, Mike pointed out that you know everybody drafted ahead of Tyson Jost, sure, was great, but everybody, for the most part, everybody drafted behind Tyson Jost hasn't really made much of an impact on the NHL either. So at times it feels like we're being a bit hard, but it really just doesn't seem like he's a good fit for this system and this strategy that Jared Bednar likes to use. Yeah, I think the only guys that were drafted after him in the first round, we're not talking later round steals, right. but in the first round, the only two guys that were taken after him that were like legit players were Jacob Chikrin and Charlie McAvoy, which are two really good defensemen. But the Avalanche were obviously going to draft a forward at that point, and none of the forwards taken after Tyson Jost really amounted to anything. So I think we've been too hard on him, but I also think uh, he will find his own somewhere else. And that brings us to Vladislav Kamenev. Obviously, we already know he's signed in the KHL, but I wanted to bring him up real quick because I just I, I get bummed when a big piece, you know, we were so excited about that Matt Duchesne trade and they got 100 pieces for it, but you hate to see one of them not work out, especially when it's somebody who's supposed to come slot right in as a forward and produce offensively. So Vladislav Kamenev not working out is a little bit of a bummer for me just because of the Matt Duchesne trade, um, you know, not seeing those pieces. It's like Mikhail Gregorenko, right? I was really disappointed when Mikhail Gregorenko went back to the KHL because of that Ryan O'Reilly trade. He was supposed yeah. to be a big piece, and, and he uh, fluttered out. Well, let me, let me tell you the difference here is that I assume the Avalanche are going to qualify to keep the rights of Kamenev. Grigorenko's rights were never retained. He was a UFA. He's gone. He just signed with Columbus earlier in the summer, uh, and he will be coming back to the NHL, and I feel like he is going to have a good season and be a very good two-way player. Kamenev's rights will be kept by the Avalanche, and who knows, man, kind of like Radulov when he came back to Nashville many years later, we could see that with Kamenev, so I'm not entirely going to cross him off the list. Um, ultimately, if he ever comes back and becomes a good player, it's a bonus, but it's unfortunate it didn't work out at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to 25-year-old Andre Burakovsky, restricted free agent. He will be re-signing. I can see him taking four to five years, around four to five million, and staying on this team and being this generation's Milan Hayduke on the avalanche where he's the guy that every year he's going to give you 25 to 35 goals, not much else in terms of playing on the penalty kill or anything like that. And uh, also like Milan Hayduke, he's got a hell of a personality and he's a funny guy. Um, so yeah, he will be sticking around four to five years, four to five million in my opinion. 27-year-old unrestricted free agent, Vladislav Nemestikov. I have a feeling I'm not going to like this answer. I love him and I want to say yes, but I think he will be gone. And I'll give you a reason why. It's because he made $4 million this year. Well, he made eight year, $8 million over two years in his most recent contract. And even if he takes a pay cut, which he will considering the financial landscape of the league and the world right now, I just don't see him taking a $2 million contract. Um, I forget who mentioned it, which one of the big insiders that actually have, you know, actual sources that will give them proper information but somebody mentioned a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago that the avalanche were interested in Jesper Fast from the New York Rangers it's a very similar type of player to Nemesnikov a very gritty 25 to 40 point player to play in your middle six the difference is you can probably get Jesper Fast for two years at two million a year if you offer that to Nemesnikov he's going to say see you later I'll go make more money somewhere else so kind of like Matt Nieto the Avalanche still have a spot for the type of player that he is in that middle six. I just don't see them uh, being able to pay him what he would like, unless it might be a one-year deal where it's like, you know what, let's run it back for one more year, kind of like Colin Wilson last year. Um, but I don't think he's going to come back unless it's a contract similar to Colin Wilson's last year, which was one year, $2.3 I believe. Yeah, why not run it back for one year, one more year with Nemestikov? He was great. I, I have I have no complaints about the, the game he played, the style of game he played, and the interview he had afterward where he said, I loved it here, and and he, he wants to be a part of this. It's an honor and a pleasure, he said. But, you know, yes, he also got his, his time cut short by COVID. We didn't really get to mm -hmm. see the full capacity of what he brings to the table, so why not... You know, he obviously contributes. He was he was big in a lot of scenarios I, there. Why not try? Can again? I change my answer? Can I change my answer? <laughs> yeah. I say I say he takes the Colin Wilson uh, contract, one year, two and a half. Because last summer, if you asked me about Colin Wilson, I would have said he's definitely gone because he was making four million in that contract with Nashville. 
and then he ended up resigning for one year at 2.3. So I, I think Nemestikov returns one year, two and a half, and he's the perfect complement for Donskoy and Comfer on that third line. We've got three more here looking at the defensive group now, starting with Ryan here Graves, 25-year-old restricted free agent. Ryan Graves will re-sign for a long-term contract, in my opinion, around $4 million. Remember all those contracts we used to talk about being the biggest deals when Travis Hammond signed like seven years at three and a half, and then uh, Eckholm signed like seven years at $4 million. Sam Gerrard is probably going to be one of those guys too, seven years at $5 million. But I think Ryan Graves is going to be one of those two. I think he'll take a seven-year deal at, let's say, 3.75, right around that $4 million range to be the guy that plays with Makar until he gets passed up on the depth chart. And at that point, he's still a reasonable top four guy. It's a pretty big jump for him, too, considering at the beginning of last season, it wasn't even a sure thing he was going to be in the NHL. You know, he was kind of a bubble guy and really established himself this year. So a big jump from being kind of an ELC-type yeah. guy to, to a mainstay. And, and $3.75 million is exactly $3 million more than the seven hundred and fifty k he made this year. That is a hell of a jump. And even with all the money that's going to be, that's going to disappear from that deal, it's still a hell of a contract for him. 30-year-old unrestricted free agent Kevin Knotten. Uh It was a great time and it was a fun year, but I think he's gone and the Avalanche replaced him with another type of depth defenseman. Yeah, that's an easy one. And then last one, not so easy. Oh, boy. 25-year-old restricted free agent Nikita Zadorov. So yesterday I was listening to Elliot Friedman's podcast, and, and Jeff Merrick mentioned that the Avalanche need to re-sign Zadorov. And Elliot Friedman said, I think he gets traded this year and or this, this offseason. And Merrick said, don't we say that every summer? And Friedman said, yeah, but this year feels different. And it does. The Avalanche have always had this back and forth with Zadorov and by the avalanche, I mean, Jared Bednar, where, you know, he's sometimes a good player. He's sometimes in the doghouse. There's no in between. Unlike Joe Sacco, Joe Sacco, Jared Bednar doesn't put players in the doghouse often. So when he does, you know, it's for a good reason. So considering the fact that in very important playoff games, you saw Zadorov playing 11 minutes a night. And that was during the time when Eric Johnson was injured and the Az needed a one of Cole or Zadorov to step up and be a top four guy. And then you add in the fact that Connor Timmins ended up ent entering the lineup and playing with Gerard and being the top four guy ahead of him. And the fact that Zadorov is finally looking for a long-term deal, I assume. He keeps taking these bridge deals with the Avs. He's taken two of them now and the most recent one, 3.25 million over one year. He's going to want four or five million. The Avalanche aren't going to give it to him like Tyson Jost and maybe in the same deal as Tyson Jost. Who knows? I think he gets traded, and then he signs a new deal somewhere else, somewhere where they can play him in the top four, and he's a great defenseman. He's a big, tough dude and a hell of a personality, um, but I just don't see a spot for him on this team, unfortunately. Yeah, I think a fresh start would be best for him as well. He's just yes. one of those guys that everybody loves, everybody likes to have around, but then when it comes he's to his nice on-ice stuff— yeah, that's what that's what kind of makes people mad and a and little bit frustrated with him are, are the stuff he does on the ice. So, um, you know, obviously he's loved, but it'd be great to, for him to go to an organization where everything can start fresh. He can kind of rebuild a, a reputation because he came in here at, at such a young age. You know, he's matured. He's had a couple kids in the in the last few yeah. years. You know, wherever he, he goes at next. 20. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wherever he goes next, he's going to have a little bit more maturity to him and be able to start fresh and not have, you know, things that happened to him in his past uh, around the Avalanche locker room haunt him anymore. So I think, unfortunately, it sucks. I hate it. I think Zadorov, you know, I think he adds a lot, especially when it comes to size and grit, things that have him missing. But, you know, you got to do what's best for the team. And if it means splitting ways with one of the favorite players, it's happened before. You know, I mean, no, nobody, I think... I think Avs fans are never going to be as hurt as they were when Chris Drury left. Yeah. That was painful, but we got on, right? The trade, we, we, we moved yeah. on. Well, the the only way that I could see Zadorov staying, and I doubt this would happen, is if the Avalanche trade the last year of Ian Cole's deal and tell Zadorov, look, if you want to be a third-pairing defenseman on this team, you're not going to make more than $4 million and give him a two-year, $8 million contract and trade Ian Cole and slot Zadorov into that Ian Cole spot. That's the only way I could see it happening, but even then, I don't think the Avalanche would do that. Yeah, I don't think Zadorov strikes me as that type of guy either. He's here to cash yeah. out and make as much money as he can during his time. Rightfully so. Rightfully yeah, so. He's, exactly. he's 25 years old, and he deserves it. I know we just finished all the UFAs and FAs, but I wanted to get to one more. 
who I think is a pretty meaningful guy in the Avalanche organization, and we haven't really seen him in the NHL for a while, but he's also a free agent, unrestricted, and that's A.J. Greer. What do you see happening for him? I assume he's gone. It really seems like a guy the Avalanche have moved on from. (laughs) I forgot about him completely. He wasn't even part of the return to play stuff, and that's kind of mind-boggling. His name has completely been removed from my brain as someone that's a possibility. Um, but yes, I agree. I think he's gone. And I think the situation he had with Sonny Milano last year sort of was the icing on the cake of this kid is already doesn't have the best personality, let's say, um, kind of pulled a fast one on his college team on his college team and went play junior hockey, uh, because he didn't get his way. It seems like when he doesn't get his way, his personality sort of dissipates and he becomes you know his character isn't where they want it to be and then obviously the situation last summer with Sonny Milano or around this time last year in late September early October uh, sort of put the icing on the cake of what the avalanche think of him and on top of that he's just not as good as we thought he was going to be and that's the biggest factor. Yeah, I see him going to to another team like Montreal. I know Montreal has been keeping their eyes on AJ for a while. I know back when the avalanche waved him a little while ago, I remember hearing somebody high up within the avalanche uh, saying that he was surprised that Montreal didn't go ahead and and take him off of waivers. So, um, yeah, I think he's gone, but I think he'll find a good spot somewhere else and still bring that fiery game. And I think he still has potential to be an NHL or just needs the right team to believe in him and and needs a a good fit for his style of play. He was a wah guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And he's just, I mean, the avalanche had two second-round draft picks early in that draft. I think it was 2015. Could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was 2015. They had the 38th and the 39th overall picks. 2016, actually. 38th and 39th overall pick. They took A.J. Greer, and they took Nicholas Maloche. Nicholas Maloche was traded for Anton Bebo last summer, and A.J. Greer is the guy we're talking about now. Swing and a miss, swing and a miss, strike two. It's unfortunate the Avalanche had that kind of luck. They seem to have very terrible luck with drafting uh, out of the first round, and luck is probably not the word. They're just probably not good at it. Um but that was another one that was a big swing and a big miss. I wanted to circle back. I know we touched on it a little bit earlier in this conversation, but that's max contracts for older players. You know, we touched on it with Landis Gog. You touched on it a little bit with Alex Petrangelo. That's kind of what I wanted. Max term. Max, yeah, max term. Um, so, yeah, you derailed me. Thanks a lot, Arif. Thanks for no the worries. correcting that's me. That's why I'm here. Nice work. But, yeah, let's get into I, I know you... I think Alex Petrangelo was a thing Avalanche fans have circled, thought about, have already spit it out. Taylor Hall, I think, is another name people are kind of 50-50 on. But you still think that there's hope for for both of these two coming to the Avalanche. Kind of walk us through that. Break break down what you kind of think a deal for those two looks like. So there isn't a lot of money to go around this year. And for Taylor Hall's case... You want to cash out, but you want to cash out on a team that's going to be good. If you want the Coyotes to give you eight years, they will, but you're going to suck for a majority of those years, especially considering the the landscape of that team with the draft picks they have to lose for cheating and for trading for him and all that. If you want an eight-year deal from someone like a Buffalo or a seven-year deal, I should say, they probably will give it to you, but again, you're not going to win there. So if you're Taylor Hall, you want a long-term deal from a team that can win. The Avalanche are not going to give you a long-term deal to stay here or to be here. Neither are the rest of the contenders. However, if you wait a year or two, you probably can get that kind of a deal from a contender. And hopefully you're still a good player by then and your injuries don't derail you. Now, why do you think Taylor Hall wouldn't get a long-term contract? What's what's the risk there from the Avalanche? The the Avalanche, look, last year, Artemi Panarin, in my opinion, is a far better player than Hall. And I mean that before this year. Artemi Panarin, pre-2020, being a finalist for the Hart Trophy, is a far better player than Taylor Hall. And the Avalanche still looked at Panarin and said, we'll give you four years at freaking 12.6, I think it was, million dollars a year to come here. But they still only gave him four years and said, when McKinnon is up for a contract, we can't have Panarin here making that kind of a mon- that kind of money. We have we have McKinnon, we have Rantanen, we have an older Landeskog, we have Newhook. We have Burakovsky. They know they're going to have enough weapons to not need him in four years, him being Panarin. So it's the same idea with Hall. The Avalanche are creative that way. They know how to target these guys. And again, considering the landscape of all the contenders, the only one, no one can really give Taylor Hall a long-term deal. So there's guys, there's teams like the Avs and there's teams like Boston that can give you one or two years. So I could see him signing for one or two years here. 
I also think he's just a qu- a giant question mark, right? They wanted yeah. to try him, but it'd be more of a trial type of thing. They don't know if he's the guy that to bring in and he's going to fix all their problems. They part of him has is hesitant because Taylor Hall is Taylor Hall. He reminds me of a Matt Duchesne, right? Everywhere he's gone, his team has just sucked. So you know you yeah. want to bring him in as a trial period, not so much as a hey, let's let's stay, let's do this thing for a while. The difference between Taylor Hall and Matt Duchesne is Taylor Hall's a winger who's never really had a good center, and as soon as he finally had a good center and Connor McDavid, they shipped him out for a defenseman that is not as good as him. Matt Duchesne is the center that's supposed to be going to teams and being the difference maker, and again, in Nashville, and he's not. So that's the difference between the two. Um, You don't want to be in a situation like Taylor Hall where you retire like Aginla and say, I've never had a good center. So, well, in in my prime, I've never had a good center. Um, So you hope... For Taylor Hall's sake, you hope that you get traded to a team like the Avs where you can be kind of like Phil Kessel going from Toronto to Pittsburgh and suddenly all these riches and these great players are playing with. So that's the Taylor Hall point of view. Now, the Alex Petrangelo point of view is you weren't expecting to be a free agent. If he does not resign in St. Louis, you are not expecting this. You don't want to make a rash decision and pick a team at this time. Someone like Boston is trying to clear up the cap space to give him a long-term deal. Someone like Vegas is trying to clear up the cap space to give him a long-term deal. If one of those two come knocking on your door and give you a long-term deal, by all means, take it. Those are two really good teams and really good markets and really good cities. But again, like Taylor Hall, if you don't get a contender to give you a long-term deal and at the same time, you don't know where you want to move your family, unlike Hall, Petrangelo is married and has four kids. So you need to choose wisely and suddenly being a free agent is going to happen so quick. He's not going to have the time to think about it like Hall has had the time, like Tyson Berry or Tory Krug, who have, you know, were, were assuming to not return to their teams from maybe months ago. He hasn't had the time to think about it. So while you're thinking it over, maybe do a one or two year deal in Denver and let's say, let's go win the Stanley Cup. I would be a lot more convinced of that if he hadn't just won the Cup in 2018. But I, I, I just can't get over this idea in my head where Taylor Hall and Alex Petrangelo say, you know what, the NHL screwed up, the finances are screwed up, let's spend the next 12 to 24 months in Denver together, whether it's a one or two year deal, and let's go win a cup or two. Let's stack that roster. And unlike the NBA where you can basically buy a team, in the NHL you can't do that. The only way you're able to stack a roster is if you put yourself in a situation where you've done such a good job building your team and drafting and signing players to good deals that you're in that situation. So the Red Wings won the cup in 2008 and they were still good enough and in such a good situation that they were able to go out and give Marion Hosa one year at seven and a half, which back then was big money. So the Avalanche, if they're able to stack a team like this, it's not that it's unfair. They deserve it and they should be taking full advantage of that situation. So that's kind of the way that I see it happening. Again, I could see that more so with Taylor Hall than Petrangelo. But if those guys get on the phone and their agents get on the phone and kind of like, you know, what if we do and then maybe start to convince Petrangelo, you could see it. And that's the guy that would replace uh, Zadorov in the top six. And he would likely play on the second pair. And Johnson would slot in with Ian Cole in the third pair. Um, if not playing on the first pair with Makar and Graves and Gerard or the second pair. But you get the point. I like the idea. You know, it's creative. It's different. Yeah. And, and I, I like the point of, you know, why make such a quick decision on when your long-term term future is going to be right now. You don't yes, have to. That's the thing. But it's also a gamble, you know, from the player's standpoint, you know, worst case scenario, he gets hurt during these one or two years and suddenly his career is over and, and, you know, maybe some of the money he was going to make from a buyout no longer exists, right? So I, I, I don't see him at his age being willing to, to do something like that. It makes a lot of sense, especially considering the scene around the NHL right now and the financial um, details of everything going on, but it, it's, it's, I don't know. I just don't see it being a player friendly deal signing for that short term. I don't expect it to be a player friend. Well, cause you don't you see, know, you don't yeah, see no. NHL players gamble like that on themselves very often. They want that long term. They don't, they don't, but that's what I hope this year. That's what I hope this year brings. I mean, look at guys like Jack Heichel and Connor McDavid. They took eight year deals and markets and teams that are terrible. Well, Edmonton's a great market. So is Buffalo, but teams and franchises that are just backwards and not moving forward. So if you ask them again, if they could redo it, they'd probably be like, you know what? Maybe Austin Matthews signing five years and Ranton in six years and Marner six years. And these guys had the right idea. Let's cash in again at 27, 28. 
So that's kind of where I am with Petrangelo. I mean, obviously he's a lot older. He's not 22, 23, but he's at that point where it's like, you know what, maybe I should bet on myself. Maybe I should go to the Avs, play. I mean, if you're going to play with the Avs, even if you start to slow down, your numbers are going to be inflated. And then the next team will sign the big deal and probably regret it later. Um, but it it's it's a possibility that it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't happen. But if it does happen, I can put together the pieces for why I believe it's not as big a shock as we as it might be, you know, otherwise. And I think your point of the super teams, that's not really a thing in the NHL because when you do see them, they're usually, you know, grown in-house. But in this cap yeah. in this cap era, you know, with a lot of uncertainty going on, I don't see why it's really that crazy to see a lot of one, two-year deals because we don't even know what the landscape's going to look like, thing. you know, after all this COVID thing happens. Yeah, and it's... It's the type of thing that I could see Sakic doing because Sakic, you know, a lot like Iserman, they're they're very creative general managers. They think outside of the box and they do things differently. I mean, that Matt Duchesne trade again. How many GMs have we seen leverage two teams not against each other just to get a bigger package from one, but against each other in the terms where we're going to take assets from both teams? Again, let's not get it twisted. Sakic traded Duchesne to Ottawa for Kyle Turris. A first-round draft pick, which ended up being Bowen Byram, Shane Bowers, and Andrew Hammond. And then he flipped around and traded Kyle Turris to the Predators. This is the steal right here. He traded Kyle Turris to the Predators for Sam Girard, Vladislav Kemenev, and a second-round draft pick. That is a massive, massive steal, that second trade. So he thinks outside the box. He does things differently, and I think... This is the type of situation that is built for a GM like Joe Sackick to go out there and think outside the box and get creative. He's also just aggressive. He's not scared to pull triggers. He's not scared to gamble on himself and, and what he sees in, in the hockey world, right? His hockey IQ, I'm sure, is a lot higher than everybody else's, and he knows that. So he's not afraid to, to face criticism and just do something that's outside the box, like you're saying. And that's what's... That's what's been so uh, great to watch him do is be aggressive and not be scared to spend some money when he has to. Yeah, exactly. And Taylor Hall, to me, is, is a lot more of a given situation. If he signs Taylor Hall, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, if he signs both Taylor Hall and Alex Petrangelo, I still wouldn't be surprised, but I will give him a stick tap and, and, and a nice applause. I bet you Joe Sackick is really great at DraftKings. Oh, for sure. Because he's not scared. He's aggressive. He's not every scared to spend his money. Every coin has landed on where he's wanted it with all these signings lately. Yep. And, and Joe, if you haven't signed up for DraftKings yet, week three of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four. There's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of week four, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, Joe... Head to the App Store now because if you don't because you don't want to miss this one. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to turn $1 into $100, Joe. That's what I'm telling you. That's a great bet. Don't worry if football is not for you. DraftKings is giving all basketball fans a 200% profit boost on any basketball market once you sign up. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, Joe. So making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So Download the top dra- the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to get this can't miss offer. Pick any team during week four, bet one dollar on them, Joe, and win one hundred dollars if they win. That's one dollar to win one hundred dollars when you use promo code MHS during sign up for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be twenty one or older, Colorado only. Profit, boost, terms, and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And you know, the funny thing is about DraftKings, um, well, not about DraftKings, but about the NFL. I actually thought of this this morning when I was reading the news on Twitter, is that Cam Newton tested positive for coronavirus, for COVID-19 this morning. And the Patriots were going to fly to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. And now their plane has been halted. It's on standby. The last tweet I saw while we were recording was saying that the game is being shifted to Tuesday night now. And they're going to play on Tuesday. The reason why that's relevant is because people keep saying, well, why doesn't the NHL do what the MLB and the NFL are doing? They just travel and play in empty arenas until you can bring in fans. Aside from the fact that financially it's a lot harder on the NHL to do that, I won't get into that side of it. But it's the fact that... Let's say today's 
October 3rd, the Avalanche are playing the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. And it's 1040 in the morning right now. We're recording. So you and I are heading over to the morning skate because it starts in 20 minutes. And Nathan McKinnon is not on the ice. And then we hear Nathan McKinnon tested positive. And then we hear the Avalanche are going to cancel this game and play it again in two days. You don't want to be stuck in that situation where players test positive and cannot play, even if they're asymptomatic and feel okay. And you're rescheduling games and doing all those things. We saw how good that bubble format was. The NHL needs to get to as close as possible to that format where everything feels normal except for the empty arenas. Health-wise, everything is normal. There's no rescheduling games outside of the you know the Black Lives Matter movement that happened. But that's what you want to see. And that's why I think the NHL is doing a good job of waiting until December, January, February before making a decision to probably start New Year's Day, in my opinion. I think that's what's going to happen. But it's just crazy to see that. It's crazy to see that Cam Newton tested positive, and now suddenly everything is different. Yeah, while it was, you know, kind of sad to see that um, the ESPN article last week that came out with the anonymous players kind of talking about what they really felt about the bubble and how they felt it was a bit confined and almost like a, a, a high-end prison, right? But that's kind of what you have to do as a league because you simply just can't trust the players, especially NFL. NFL players are idiots. NBA players are idiots. Um, MLB players, I, you know, it sounds like they got it a little bit more under control, but they weren't the smartest when the when the season started either. So you just can't trust any of the players to keep things the way they need to be because people are just so antsy of staying in their houses and, and staying safe that they want to go out and do things, go golf, go um, you know, I mean, it could even happen at the grocery store, too. So if you prevent all those things like the NHL did, then, yeah, it's feasible. I just don't know if they're going to be able to throw one together for an entire season. I know they're talking about the six different bubbles um, for the upcoming NHL. I don't know. It's going to be crazy to watch again like this whole year has been crazy to watch how everything unfolds. But after what the NHL shown us, you can't have anything but trust and confidence that they're going to figure it out and do something that's going to be, you know, workable for everybody. And that's what I like about the way they handled the return to play. They waited for the last possible moment to announce something. And I think they're going to do that again because they're going to make the right decision. Knock on wood, hopefully. Um, but moving on, I'm going to sort of take over your part of the podcast for just a second. Before we move on to talk about the goalies, what's your opinion of a 32-year-old, very speedy Michael Grabner? Uh, I think age... Once you get past the 30s, you got to really be careful. I mean, I, I, I'm, and that you'll hear me get into that here when we get into our goalie conversation. This is a young team, it's a fast team, and you need to keep it young and fast because that's the way the NHL is nowadays. Signing 32, 33, 35 year olds, I think that's a thing of the past and something that the Avalanche kind of need to move away from to keep this style of hockey that they've, that they've kind of cultivated in the last couple of years. Would you entertain Michael Grabner as a 13th forward kind of a slots in when there's an injury type of guy? I mean, it depends. You know, you got to weigh out options. It, it, Grabner versus what are, you know, some maybe other better options that might be out there. Okay. Well, Michael Grabner was just placed on waivers by the Coyotes and, the, and he is going to get bought out. Uh, he was placed on waivers for the purpose of a buyout. So he only scored eight goals in 46 games last year, nine and 41 the year before that. In 2018, he had 25 and 59 games with the Rangers leading up to the deadline. Everybody goes to Arizona and their offense just dies like Kessel, like Taylor Hall. So that's kind of someone that is suddenly going to be on the market. So I just wanted to get your opinion on that, but I'll give it back to you. Was that breaking? Is that that's, breaking that's news? That's breaking news. That's something that was just announced as we are recording. So I kind of wanted to get your opinion on that, but... I wouldn't be opposed to bringing him in as a 13th, 14th forward, but I know a lot of other teams will probably give him more money than the 750 or 1 million that the Avalanche likely would offer him, if anything. So Right. That that's kind of where I was headed with the Petrangelo conversation before. I mean, you I think from a player's standpoint, you're more likely to go to a worse team that's gonna allow you to play and pay you for longer than go to a good team. That, you know, yeah, you might have a chance of winning the cup, but you're only going to be there for, for so long. Yeah, you so, don't get to inflate uh, your stats, basically. Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, time to get into the goalie conversation. A lot of stuff has happened surrounding goalies in the last week, and, and namely a couple rumors floating around there with the uh, avalanche involved. So let's just start with the elephant in the goalie room, so to speak, and that's Henrik Lundqvist. Now, he was bought out. And it was announced while we were recording our last podcast with Tony Ferrari talking about the draft. So let's get into Lundquist a little bit. Do you think this is even remotely a good idea? I'll start and say no. 
I think it's a terrible idea. Here's my uh, reasoning behind that. Lundquist, of course, he's already 38 years old. We already know that. He's old. But in doing a little bit of my homework before this show, Arif, since the 2014-15 season, I'm going to read off Henrik Lundqvist's goals against average, okay? 2.25. Following year, 2.48. Following year, 2.74. Following year, 2.98. That's an obvious decline, right? And it's steady. It's literally going down about 0.2 every season. Now, to his save percentage... Starting in 2014-15, 0.922. Year after that, 0.920. Year after that, 0.910. He had a little bit of rebound there, 0.915. And then we go to 0.907 and 905. Again, those are declining numbers. Not, not anywhere was there anything steady. So I can only assume, and considering his age and considering what I've seen from him in the games he has gotten this season, I just don't think he's the same Henrik Lundqvist, not even close, and his his skill and his ability to play goaltender is severely declining. Yeah, he. so I don't like the goals against average one because obviously that's more of a team statistic. Granted, while he's going on an upward trajectory in terms of that number. God, I've used that word a lot this podcast. Uh, while he's going upwards with the with the goals against average number, guys like Shesterkin and and Georgiev have been posting better numbers. So that's more of a of of uh, you know, of a reason to say that he's on a decline. He's not a good option. There's way too many options in the mar- on, on the free agent market this year and even in the trade market. He's the kind of player that if halfway through the season, let's say your two goalies for whatever reason, Let's say for whatever reason, Francis is gone and your two goalies are Grubauer and Holtby. I picked the name out of a hat, Holtby. And halfway through the season, Grubauer is hurt and you have Holtby and let's say Hutchinson because for whatever reason, he's back as your third stringer. Um, then around the trade deadline, you entertain the idea of trading for a Lundqvist if he's available for a fourth or fifth rounder to you know ride shotgun with Holtby. Basically, this past trade deadline, if the Avalanche were looking for a third stringer, which they were in Hutchinson, uh, went out and acquired Lundqvist, I would have said, yeah, that's a great idea. And then in the playoffs, once one of Grubauer and Fran- or Francis got injured, and then the second one eventually got injured, I would say, you know, it's a good thing we had Lundqvist. But in the offseason, when you can reset and t- look at the market as a whole and really pick the right guy, it's not the time to bring him in. Maybe at the deadline, not now. There are far too many options. I don't want to spend too much time talking about Lundqvist because there's so many more appealing names out there. Well, why don't we get into another one that you just brought up? That's Braden Holtby. Personally, Love my it. favorite choice. Yes, me too. Of the available options. That's why I mentioned him. And, you know, through his career, he's only had one year where he had under a 900 save percentage and over a three goals against, and that's last year. So that part right there makes me a little bit nervous. Now, was it a bad year and just a bad you know, go of it for the whole team and Braden Holpe, or is he going to, you know, change scenery and, and be a back to the Braden Holpe remember, or is he declining? Is he uh, on the same page as Henrik Lundqvist? Cause Holpe 31 years old, not quite as old, but he is aging. You know, they say goalies are in their peak right around age 28. He's three years past that. He's my age. I've been playing goalie my whole life. My body's breaking down. I'm definitely not the decline of my game. <laughs> You're not Braden Holpe, nor have you had the trainers and the regimen that Holpe has had. Um, no, no disrespect to you, but you're just you're not Braden Holby. You're I might about be half. You're about half as tall as him too. <laughs> that was a that was a shot. But anyway, regarding Braden Holby, look, goalies can be good until they're 34, 35. Look, Marc Andre Fleury is is 36, I want to say, and this was his first bad year. So when Fleury went to Vegas in the expansion draft, he was only 34, and Fleury started playing in the NHL a hell of a lot earlier than Holby did. He was 18. He started he started right away. Basically, what I'm getting at is I am fully on board with Braden Holtby. I think the Avalanche should give him a two-year deal at about $6 million per, and they can afford it. Granted, it's either him or Petrangelo. If you're going to stock up, stack up with Petrangelo and Hall, you can't afford that. But if you're only going to get Hall and maybe bring back Nemesnikov and bring in a defenseman to replace Zadorov, also for cheap, then you're, you can have you have the money to sign Holtby for two years at $6 million. Do you get rid of Grubauer? Do you get rid of Francis? I don't know. I kind of am leaning more toward Grubauer, but I could I could see why 
you would get rid of Francis and keep Grubauer. Uh, moral of the story is I'm fully on board with Holtby. I have all the time in the world for him. I think the Avalanche should bring him in for two years, and I think he would win a Stanley Cup here very easily. Well, let's get into the third and final big name that's kind of been floated around the Avalanche. And again, this is coming from Elliot Friedman and his sources and whatever <laughs> he gets from whoever he gets it from. And that's Corey Crawford at 35 years of age. Now, not a terrible idea in my not honest at all. opinion. I so, don't like Corey Crawford. I'm not a big fan of the way he plays. I think he also tends to give up bad goals in clutch moments. But you look at him statistically, he's had over a 900 save percentage his entire career, and he's been under three goals against his entire career. Those are impressive numbers. Yeah, he's played yeah. behind some good teams, but lately he hasn't not lately. so much. No, yeah. not lately. Right. No, so, well, I don't sorry. love the idea. I don't hate it at the same time. Yeah. And... Um, I think he would be a great choice for the Avalanche in the sense where, and I believe he's an unrestricted free agent, correct? Right. Okay, so he is an unrestricted free agent. He's the kind of option where if you're looking for somebody under, if you want to get away from the Francis and Grubauer match or, uh, or pair, or maybe you want to convince somehow Francis to be the third stringer in the AHL, which I doubt would happen. But if you want to get away from that pairing and switch it up, also while keeping around the same money that you were spending on Grubauer and Francis, which isn't a lot. I think it's like 5.3 combined. Um, Corey Crawford's the type of guy you can do that with. You can bring him in for two or three or four million for a one-year deal. Uh, you can, you know, he's the kind of goal, he's the kind of goalie that if you did stack up with Petrangelo and Hull, you can still afford to sign Crawford for cheap. Um, my top choice is Holtby. My second choice of the names that we've mentioned is him. Uh, somewhere in between there, I'd be completely cool with Mark Andre Fleury if, and this is a big one because I think it could happen now, if nobody trades for Mark Andre Fleury and Vegas, considering they just signed Leonard to five years at five million per year, if they say we have no choice but to buy out Mark Andre Fleury, that's the guy that I would rather have for two or three million dollars on a short-term deal. But that's a big if. Crawford is a UFA already and will be willing to maybe take that money already. Uh, so he's not a bad choice, in my opinion. I could just see, I could see another team paying him more than the Avalanche can. I mean, he's yeah. coming off making I mean, six mil. I doubt he wants to jump down to four. You you could say that about a lot of goalies, and you know, Flurry's another one. Lundqvist is another one. A lot of teams are looking for goalies. Edmonton, whatever the hell's going on there with Koskinen and Calgary, they have Dave Riddick and Cam Talbot. I doubt they'll bring back Talbot. The Red Wings need somebody to play with Bernier. There's a lot of goalies. A lot of teams looking for goalies. Um, Vancouver, if they lose Markstrom, so on and so forth. Pittsburgh needs a backup. Uh, damn, imagine Flurry goes back to Pittsburgh. But, you know, there's a lot of goalies out there and a lot of teams looking for goalies. One of them, I think, will land in Denver. I just don't know if it'll be a bigger name or a, a – well, not a bigger name or a smaller name. All these names are big names, but I just don't know if it'll be a bigger number or a smaller number. Uh, I guess we'll find out. But the goalie thing is intriguing. Uh, Elliot Friedman did mention, I know Joe Sackick said he's going to roll with Francis and Grubauer, but I just can't see that happening, uh, which is, you know, when he mentioned Corey Crawford, he said that he's heard rumblings the Avs are interested in him, uh, but we'll see. I'm really intrigued and curious to see what happens this summer. Yeah, I mean, I put my money on none of them coming because I think, like you said a little bit ago, the avalanche focuses elsewhere. Um, you know, they got to shore up some D, find some depth in the offensive side. But here's my wish list if we could make one of them happen. Braden Holtby, number one. Fleury, number two. I'll throw Crawford, Crawford, number three. And Lundqvist is number 12. Yeah, that sounds great to me because before Lundqvist, you can trade for Matt Murray. Uh, you can even trade for Marc-Andre Fleury at $7 million and it would make more sense. You can sign Thomas Grice. You can trade for Freddie Anderson. There's so many options out there better than Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, he's the type of guy that you would bring in at the deadline if you run into injuries. But, And that's only if he has a good season leading up to the deadline. So even then, I don't think it makes sense. Uh, but I'm completely on board with you. That big, bearded, beautiful dude named Braden Holtby that wears number 70, very unorthodox number. He's the guy that I think the Avalanche should target. Um 
2018 Stanley Cup final, Flurry versus Holtby. I want one of those two guys, obviously, if the money makes sense. Yeah, uh, 100% with you. Um, you know, we're running a little bit long, so I feel like this is a good place to stop. I love getting into the goalies a little bit here. So anything else you want to throw out there before we get out of here? We'll forego the Twitter highlight, the um, social media moment of the week, and the three stars of the week just because we had a lot to get into today. Yeah, and um, I'll say two things. Number one, get ready for a long week of podcasting ahead. We're going to bring out maybe two, maybe three episodes. We'll recap the draft. We'll recap free agency Friday night, I assume, if not Saturday morning again. Um, Other than that, exactly one year ago today was opening night, and that is just completely mind-boggling to me. 2020 has completely flipped the script. What a year. For real. A A year ago today, I was leaving for Spain. Can you believe that? Yeah, I remember that. Crazy stuff. Yeah. It just, really, just feels yeah. like it was the other day. When's the next time um, Spain's going to let you back in, right? <laughs> yeah. But not anytime soon, that's it's, for sure. It's been a weird time, but the draft is in three days. Day two of the draft is in four days. Free agency in six days. Things are starting to look a little bit normal. The Tampa Bay Lightning are celebrating a cup, and Patrick Maroon and all these guys are doing crazy things with people that they probably shouldn't be doing. But things feel normal, even though it's October. It's just been a wild ride, a hell of a year. A year ago today, I started this job, um, and I'm excited to see what comes ahead for this upcoming season. Yeah. So that being said, if you made it this far, bless your heart. Don't forget to check out my new radio show with Ryan Bowling, the hockey show on Mile High Sports Radio and MileHighSports.com. Other than that, thanks for hanging out with us. For Arif, I'm JJ. Hockey's for everyone, and we out you. Please love.